Amen. Thank you, Nick. Good morning, City Light. Yeah, it is a good morning. It's a good morning to dig into God's Word together. This fall, we've been walking through the chapter of uh, the eighth chapter of Romans, and this morning so happens to be the beginning of the end of Romans eight for us this fall. So uh, next week we will wrap up the series all together, and then it's Christmas time. All right. So this is the beginning of the end. And as I was thinking about a beginning and middle and end, it reminded me of my high school speech class where my high school speech teacher told me that every good speech has the same outline. It looks something like this. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them what you want to tell them. And then tell them what you told them. And every speech should follow that outline. And I'll be honest, at first, I did not like that at all. I thought it was like going to the Department of Redundancy Department. Like, people don't want to do that. So why would I? But that was what my teacher made me do, and so that's what I did. And then this week, as I was studying Romans 8 again and noticing we're at the beginning of the end, I thought to myself, I think... Paul is following the outline that my high school speech teacher gave. He is doing what she told me to do. He's telling us what he has already told us. Here at the end of Romans chapter 8, he does not give much new information at all. Instead, he reviews all of the good news that he's already said. It almost feels like he's giving us a study guide with questions and answers, easy ways to make flashcards so that we can remember and reinforce, even memorize all of the truths that we've already heard in the chapter up until now. And so, if you'll indulge me, I think we'll make five flashcards today, all right? Questions on the front, answers on the back. Paul gives five rapid-fire questions in our five verses today. So we'll just make those five questions into five flashcards, and we'll use that as our outline. Here are the questions straight from the Bible. Number one, what then shall we say to these things? Number two, if God is for us, who can be against us? Number three, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Number four, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And number five, who is to condemn? Feels like flashcards, doesn't it? Just review. Uh, So let's jump in. Question number one. What then shall we say to these things? He's laid out an incredible abundance of grace. He's laid out an embarrassment of riches that God has given to his people from verses 1 to 31. And now he says, what then shall we say to these things? It's like an introductory question asking us to remember all of the things that we've already learned. And so I think 
for question one, what we need to do is say, what are these things that we need to remember, right? What are these things that we need to respond to? And so if the question uh, for the first flashcard is what then do we say to these things, I think the answer on the back, I'm just going to give five truths from Romans 8 that we've already learned. All right, rapid fire, here we go. Verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First truth we remember, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, none. No guilt, no shame, no penalty, no retribution, no accusation, no baggage to carry, no sentence to serve. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Amen? That's number one. Number two, we go to verse two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Second truth from Romans 8 In Christ Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit who sets you free from sin and death. That's good news. If you are in Christ, his Holy Spirit lives in you. That means a new law governs you. Not the law of sin and death waging war against you. It's the law of the Spirit of life giving you freedom in Christ. It's good news. Number three. We're going rapid fire. Uh, That's hard for a preacher like me, all right? But we're moving on. Uh, Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if we have no condemnation and Jesus has given us his Spirit, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So third truth this morning, in Christ Jesus, you are a child of God. His daughter His son, a member of his family who is seen and known and valued and loved, desired by God your Father. Incredible. Next, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Fourth truth this morning. In Christ Jesus There is glory in store for you. You may be grown in today, but there is glory in store. In fact, it's a glory that incomparably surpasses all of the groanings that work within us and around us in these days. There is glory in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lastly, Romans 8 verse 30 And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So fifth truth from Romans chapter 8. In Christ Jesus, you are chosen. To use Bible words from Romans 8. You are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. It's a golden chain of God's work on your behalf so that we might enjoy God's presence and glory now and forever. In Christ, you have been chosen. 
So flashcard number one summarizes for us all the things that we have already covered. It, it recalls to mind the great truths of Romans 8. It's an abundance of grace. It's an embarrassment of riches. And everyone is worth remembering and expounding upon. But we got four more flashcards this morning. All right? So I've done enough review. We're going to keep going. Flashcard one, what shall we say to these things? Five truths are these things. Flashcard number two. Second question. Sounds like this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Why the for and against language? Why, why the contention, the strife? What? It's reviewing what we've already seen. And we got to go a little bit further back than Romans 8 to get this one. We go back to the end of Romans chapter 7, where Paul is wrestling with forces that are at work against him. He said in Romans 7, but I see in my members, he's talking about his body, his hands, his feet, his tongue, his, his mind. He sees it. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul's lamenting the place that sin holds in his life. It's like a law that rules over him. It makes demands on him. It holds him captive. It wages war against him. Why the for and against language? Because that's where we started. There's a force at work waging war against us. Have you ever felt like Paul in Romans 7? Like in this life, there just seem to be forces at work against you. For centuries, actually, Christians have discerned in Scripture three forces at work against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three forces at work against us. In fact, way back in 1549, there was uh, published a book of common prayer. And one of the prayers, way back in 1549, went like this. From all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. Have you ever felt like there were forces at work against you, against us? The world is broken, is it not? Like we see war, injustice, poverty every day proving that we live in a broken world. The flesh is at work against us. We are held captive to sin in our flesh. That's what Paul was lamenting in Romans chapter 7. Sin and his members waging war against him. The world, our flesh, and the enemy, the devil, Satan. He prowls around like a lion ready to steal and kill and destroy. If you have ever felt like there's a force at work against you, can I just say this morning, you're not wrong. You're, you're reading it right. You're justified in feeling that way. But this second flashcard in Romans chapter 8 encourages us not to review only what is at work against us, 
but who is at work for us? You tracking? He said, if God is for us, who uh, can be against us? So Christian, consider who is for you. The God of all that was and is and is to come. The God who the Bible says upholds the universe by the word of his power. The God who is faithful to keep his promises to a thousand generations. The only God who sits enthroned in glory and power forever and ever. He is for you. God is for you. And if he is for you, then anything that stands against you must stand against him. Anything that seeks to destroy you has got to get through him by destroying him first. It's impossible. Listen, it'd be like getting assigned to Doug's team in a world's tiniest beard competition. All right? (laughs) Ain't nobody going to beat Doug in that. Nobody's got a smaller beard than that little invisible flavor saver on his bottom lip. You want to be on Doug's team if you're in that competition. All right? And if you've got forces at work against you in this life, you want our God on your side. Our God is for us. Amen? And if God is for us, who can be against us? You know what it's like to have somebody for you. Maybe a decade ago. I went to a coffee meeting with Chuck Kaiser. Um, Chuck is one of our church planters over in West Council Bluffs. This particular coffee meeting um, was over in Omaha. We were meeting with a couple other pastors who had invested in us as we made efforts to plant a church here in Council Bluffs. We'd been dreaming about it. We'd been pursuing it. um, We'd been uh, working at it. And these pastors were investing in us, and they had asked us, to meet with them to talk about church planting here. And so we walked in actually pretty excited. Man, they've seen us. They must have some plan. And so we sat down across the table from them, and they started by saying, guys, I think we've got good news for you. There's a guy from Arizona, a church planter, who's um, moving back here, and we think he would be a great fit in Council Bluffs. And so our plan is to bring him here and have him lead the church in Council Bluffs. What do you guys think? And I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't answer. In fact, I just held my head and fought back the tears that I knew would come if I tried to talk. I I didn't know what to say. I had felt called to Council Bluffs for years. I'd moved here, invested here, bought a house here, and began raising my family here. I'd taken people meals, roofed people's houses, walked through sicknesses and miscarriages with people who were hurting. I'd officiated weddings and attended funerals. I'd shared the gospel at the casinos and on the youth soccer fields. I'd prayed with people asking for God's mercy in hard times and celebrated his grace in good times. And these guys wanted to bring in a stranger from Arizona to lead the people, the church, the body that had grown as Chuck and I were excited to plant a church here. When they asked, what do you think? I was crushed. I just hung my head and fought back tears and sat there in silence. Well, it seemed like forever until Chuck spoke up and said, I just have one thing to say. What's that guy got that Eric don't got? 
And I got to tell you, I don't even know what they said. (laughs) I didn't even listen to their answer. I didn't honestly care. Because at that point, I I didn't care who was against me because I knew there was somebody there for me. Right? When I couldn't speak, Chuck spoke for me. When I was under attack, he defended. When I was down, he lifted me up. When they were against me, he was for me, and it changed everything. I really didn't care what the guys across the table thought about me anymore because I knew what Chuck thought about me. What's that guy got that Eric don't got? Friend, if you are in Christ, God is for you. When this world has you groaning so deeply that you can't even speak, God, the Holy Spirit of God speaks for you, groans deeply with you. When you're under attack, God defends you. When you're down, he lifts you up. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible comes from Micah, uh, chapter 7, verse 8. It says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. What a declaration. Hey, I may be down. Things may look dark. But don't rejoice over me, attackers and accusers and those who would stand against me because I know my God is for me. It's Micah's declaration. Friend, if you are in Christ, God is for you. That's what I'd write on the back of this card. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. God is for you. Amen. That's flashcard number two. All right, question number three. We'll move on. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will that God not also with his son graciously give us all things? This question is asking us to review to what extent is God for us? How much is God for his people? If you are in Christ, how far will God go to show you his love, to defend against your attackers? To what extent is God for us? Some people might hear the story that I just told about Chuck being for me and say, yeah, Eric, that's cool, but talk is cheap, right? Anybody can say they're for you, but it's what they do that proves it. That's what this verse is getting at. It's the direction question three takes us. Before the question is even asked, there's this long title given for God. And I just got to say, I love long titles like this. I went to Thanksgiving with some friends one time, and the wife asked her husband, hey, honey, provider of the feast, would you bless this food? And I thought to myself internally, Lord, I hope Sarah calls me provider of the feast someday. (laughs) I would love that long title, right? Well, Romans 8 gives God a long title that's way better than provider of the feast. God is called, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's 
how much. That's the extent of God's love for his people. He did not spare his one and only son from his plan of redemption. He gave him up. That brings things into perspective, okay? Track with me. We ask questions, I think, sometimes like this. God, if you are for me, why did it get so cold just as I was getting ready to hang my Christmas lights? What's up with that? You know what I'm about to do? God, if you are for me, why do I have to deal with such difficult people at work? Bring me a nice one. You know, please throw me a bone. God, if you are for me, why do I still drive this crummy car? It's a tiny matchbox that sounds like a monster truck, right? Like, give me something. God, if you are for me, why am I so lonely? God, if you are for me, why don't my kids talk to me? God, if you are for me, why was that person able to hurt me as deeply as they did? God, if you are for me, why do you hold back on me? Some of those questions are surface level and some are deep. Some are for today, and some we ask over and over again throughout our lives. All of those questions, though, focus on what God has not given rather than what he has given. Is there anything more valuable to God the Father than God the Son? Reflect for a moment. Is there anything more valuable to God the Father than God the Son? The answer is absolutely not. God the Father does not value anything more than his Son. That means God has given us the very thing that he values the most. So when we feel unloved and unseen by God, it is not because God is holding out on us, keeping back his best from us. It's because we don't value Jesus the Son like God the Father values Jesus the Son. Listen, this is maybe not an easy word, but I want it to land. When we struggle and we wonder, God, why are you holding out on me? Why don't you give me good things like the Bible says you will? I think the issue at hand is not that God is holding out on us. It's that we don't value the son the way the father values the son. I think we can intellectually believe that we value Jesus above all. But at the same time, we functionally prefer a nice day or a nice car, or a better relationship, or a bigger paycheck, or immediate relief from whatever struggle we are currently facing. And when God doesn't provide those things, those functional preferences, then we feel like God is holding back on us. And that's where question three is asking us to review what God has given he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with his son give, graciously give us all things? 
The question is saying, how could the God who did not hold back his son that he prizes and values above all else not also give us lesser things? How could your grandma on Thanksgiving give you turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and hold back the gravy to slather over it all? That's nonsensical. She would never do such a thing. God, if he has given you what he values most, will not hold back lesser things. Now listen, I am not saying that God is like Santa Claus, where we say, oh God, here's a list of all the things that we want, and then we expect him to give us those things. That's not what the Bible says. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So God who gave you his son will give you everything you need for life and godliness. Things like love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, purity, righteousness, the right words in your moment of need, spiritual gifts to build up the church, a way out when we're stuck, daily bread to get us through this day, and so much more. This flashcard reminds us God does not hold back on his people. How will he not graciously give us all things since he has given us Jesus? He will. There is no way that he won't. That's the answer. All right. The last two questions use legal language. All right. A little bit of a shift here. Legal language. Who can bring charges? And who can declare verdicts, all right? So we're going legal. The fourth question is this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That is those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who've been foreknown and predestined and called and justified and glorified. Well, here in the good old U.S. of A., when a charger, an, accu an accuser, brings charges against someone, there is a system of courts that try the case. Now, that's the same sort of situation that Romans 8 is picturing. A sinner like you or me has been exposed. We've broken the law of God, and there's an accuser who has seen and heard all of it, and they are ready to bring charges against us. Maybe you have felt charges against you or heard accusations against you. You're guilty. God can't love you. God can't change you. God won't call you his child. You'll never enter his glory. You're dirty. You're broken. You're sick, you're empty, you're weak, you're worthless, you're guilty. This flashcard is not a thought experiment. That there might be some accuser out there and we might be accused in some court that we can't see. Oh, this is reality. 
And we hear accusations like that from the outside, from the inside, day by day. This is our reality because there is an accuser that works against us. I'll I'll just read to you a verse from Revelation 12. We're not going to dive deeply, but just catch the accuser. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Accusations really happen. And so Romans 8 asks the question, who can bring charges against God's elect, against God's people? Who can take us to court with those accusations? It is God who justifies. Now, the word justifies there means to render or show or exhibit or declare or pronounce that someone is righteous. Who can bring charges? God justifies. Who can say that you're not righteous or not worthy or broken and unfixable or sick and irredeemable? Who can bring charges when God justifies? The judge makes the declaration. Who can bring charges when God has already given the verdict? If you are in Christ, God has already declared you justified, righteous, innocent, and free. We know that from the golden chain that says those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, and justified, and glorified. God has already done that. Therefore, Nobody can bring charges against you that will stand before the God who judges and justifies his people. The the accuser can accuse all day and night, but his charges will never stand because it is God who justifies. It is God who pronounces. And so if you've ever heard accusations against you, you know there are forces at work against us, but our God is for us. They may bring charges against us, but they will not stand because our God has justified us. Amen? Okay, one more question. Close with the last one. Number five, who is to condemn? Who can give the final verdict? If nobody can bring charges against you, then who can condemn you? This takes us back to verse one. This takes us back to the tagline of our sermon series, no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who can condemn those who are in Christ Jesus? Nobody. Nobody. Why is that true? How does Jesus take away our condemnation? This is where I want to end. Paul gives three reasons. After this last question, he answers it. And he gives us three reasons why nobody can condemn us when we're in Christ Jesus. Here's, look for them. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. There are three reasons nobody can condemn you. Jesus died so that you are not condemned. Jesus was raised so that you are not condemned. And Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us so that you are not condemned. So, indulge me as we celebrate what God has done. Because Jesus died, you are not condemned. 
Jesus died for our sin. It was put on his shoulders as he hung on the cross. The death sentence for your sin and mine, for our sin, was executed on Jesus when he was executed on the cross. Are you tracking with me? That means your sin can no longer condemn you because Jesus took your condemnation off of you and bore it on himself. Jesus died so that you are not condemned. Amen? More than that, because Jesus was raised, we are not condemned. See, after Jesus died, he did not stay dead and condemned in sin. Jesus, uh, the Bible says that Jesus had the authority to lay down his life and he had the authority to take it back up again. That means sin did not defeat Jesus. Jesus defeated sin. After Jesus died on the cross, it looked like sin buried Jesus in the grave. But in reality, Jesus buried sin there. You with me? Jesus died for our sin on the cross. That happened, but he was raised again and now he lives never to die again. A life that came after or beyond or in spite of death. Jesus was raised from death. That means his resurrection is evidence of his power over death. Jesus has a power greater than death. He has a life that death could not end. His resurrection power, his raised to life power, his death-defeating power means death cannot condemn those who are in him. Jesus died so that your sin cannot condemn you. And Jesus rose to new life so that death cannot condemn you. And it keeps getting better. Number three, because Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us, we are not condemned. So friends, Jesus died and he rose again. And that happened. That's like what we celebrated in Craig's baptism. Buried with Christ, raised to new life. Jesus did that. He accomplished it for us. What's he doing now? He didn't just die and rise again and then peace out on us for 2,000 years. That's not our God. Jesus went to the Father's right hand and is right now interceding for us. He, he returned to heaven in glory with the Father and got close to him in the place of greatest priority and prominence and splendor and is interceding for us. So Jesus died to bear our sin. He rose to defeat our sin. And now he sits in glory to silence sins, charges, and accusations. So right now, Jesus is telling the Father, I gave my life so that she can live. I shed my blood so that he could be justified. She is redeemed. He is saved. Jesus is our advocate right now in the throne room of heaven at the right hand of God, which means our accuser can accuse day and night, but our advocate 
advocate is standing between the accuser and the judge, between the enemy and our father, blocking that out and saying it's not true. They sinned, but I paid the penalty for that sin. They don't deserve this, but I'm giving it to them. They, they will die, but I will give them my life. They are wretched, but I'm inviting them to share in my glory. Accuser, be silenced because I have a better word for the Father. We are not condemned because Jesus is interceding for us. Amen? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Five questions, five flashcards. Man, for me, what a grace to review the embarrassment of riches that God has laid out for us in Romans chapter 8. Can we just pray and thank him together for that? Oh God, I am so grateful for all that you have done for us. More than that, I'm grateful for who you are, that your heart and your passion and your justice and your love and your mercy have resulted in your action for us. You talk the talk and you walk the walk. You are for us. You have justified us. You sent your son to die and rise again so he might go back to heaven and intercede for us even now today. What grace. And so God, today, I ask, would you impress upon us the incredible reality of all that truth? God, would you draw us into that so that we live in light of that truth? that we would reckon what Romans 8 says as reality because it is reality. And God, would that encourage your people today? God, it's, it's just landing on me that you did not withhold your son, but you gave him up for all of us. And so friend, if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let your soul right now stand in awe of both all that Jesus has done for you and the heart of God that would send his only son to do that for you. Oh, God is for you. And when I say God is for you, and when Romans 8 talks about God is for us, it's talking about those who are in Christ Jesus. And so friend, if you sit here this morning and you say, I don't know if that's true. I've never known this myself. There is a distinction. This is true for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not true for those who are not in Christ Jesus. For those who haven't given their lives to him. For those who haven't bowed the knee and called Jesus their king or hugged him and called Jesus their friend. And so this morning, friend, if that is you, today is the day. It's like Craig felt God drawing him to say yes, to take the step of obedience, to get baptized and tell this congregation, this community, that he is Christ's, died to his sin, raised to new life in Jesus. If you feel the Holy Spirit doing that work in you right now, 
and you want this reality of God on your side, God for you, Jesus' blood cleansing you from your sin so that you are declared right and good and free in Christ. This morning, give your life to him. It's easy as admitting that you're a sinner. I am broken. The accusations are are true in a sense. I am broken, I'm wretched, I need a savior. But it's only a half truth because there is a savior who wants to make you well and right and invite you into his heaven. So admit you're a sinner and then believe in that savior, Jesus Christ, who like Romans says, died and rose again and went back to heaven so that you are not condemned. Admit to God, I am a sinner who needs a savior. Jesus, would you save me? And friend, if you can commit to follow Jesus as as his spirit gives you the grace for the rest of your days into eternity, welcome to the kingdom. God's inviting you. Today's the day. Say yes and enter the grace of God once and for all and forever. God, I thank you. For all those who've already said yes, I thank you that you're still moving today, that you're not done, that you didn't peace out on us, but you're still working, you're still sending, you're still saving. And God, I'm grateful that that's true right here in this room in Council Bluffs this morning. God, would you get the glory in what we say today and all of our days? In Jesus' name.